Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether we like it or not, money matters. I'm your host, Maya Fisher-French, and today I'm sharing a conversation I had with financial planner Louis van der Merwe, who is an expert in life transitions. This is part of a series of podcast discussions with Louis around those major life events that we're all going to experience at some point in our lives. Right, so, so Louis and I uh, landed up having coffee one day because I was absolutely fascinated by the speciality of la- major life transitions. So I think, Louis, on your profile, it sort of said things like, um, you know, divorce, death, well, obviously not your own death because that's happened, but <laughs> the death of a spouse, uh, divorce. And I think these are all life transitions we're going to face, whether we like it or not. I mean, we're going to go through one of those. And then as part of this conversation, we started talking about my poor mom, who is moving into a retirement village, and the emotions and the admin and, I think, to some extent, the trauma um, around this. So, Louis and I have decided we're going to do a series of podcasts around transition moments. But because of my mom, we're going to start with aging. <laughs> Um, and, and Louis, I mean, you know, I, I suppose this, this podcast is relevant whether you are someone in that process um, or you're the adult child like me dealing with it. I mean, how frequently do you come across sort of dealing with these situations? Maya, I think every time a client reaches out to us, it's because money is moving. And when money changes, life changes. And when life changes, money changes. So almost everything starts with a change in what's happening. Because if you stay the same, then what's you know, there's no reason for you to seek help. But when there's life-changing events, and we call that life transitions, specifically because the American Financial Transition Institute termed it that way, and that's really when you're going through a big change in your life. It could be positive. It could be winning the lottery or getting a big inheritance that you didn't expect. Um, and that can have a equal impact as a negative life transition. So losing a spouse, maybe being retrenched, because both of them, your brain almost shuts down when it comes to decision making. Mm. So it's very interesting dealing with clients and family members, you know, when they go through these life transitions, because there's so much that can go wrong. It's so true. And I want to talk to you a little bit later about that shutting down of the brain, because we all face yeah. it whenever we're overwhelmed by something, our brain starts to shut down. And that's not always the best thing that you really need to be doing at the time, especially when there's money involved. But let's let's go let's talk about this thing about aging about retiring mm. why is it such a difficult time in our lives you know whether that's retiring from work or like my mom i mean she's 80 so it's not retirement but it's moving house it's downsizing to a village why is the why are these particularly challenging times it's supposed to be things you know are coming you've planned for them but why why do we struggle so much with those i think sometimes it's planned and sometimes it's not so with the Transitionist Institute, we talk about the four stages of life transition. And that starts out with anticipation. So that's, as you mentioned, you know, we're planning for something, you're waiting for this event to happen. Then there's ending. This event has now happened. You've been retrenched. Your spouse has, has passed. Or you've sold your property that you've lived in for 40 years. And that's almost the easy part. Then comes the part that we call passage. And that's the messy middle. That's when... You know, you lose your sense of identity and you struggle to put things back together. And ultimately, moving through this, you get to the final phase, which is what we call the new normal. And that's where you can look back on your transition and you can actually see how you've grown as a person. Be that negative or positive. There's something that you can take away from that. But going through that is hard. 
you know, it's emotionally difficult. Um, it's change. And I think as humans, we're not very good with change. You know, we, we want to stay with the things that we know and the things that we're comfortable. And all of a sudden something changes and we kick against it and we don't want to do it. And if you can imagine someone in an elderly position, there might be very little things that they still have control over. So now you overlay that on top of this life transition, on top of the financial decisions, and it all just becomes a big mess, and that's the messy middle part. And that that, that sense of agency, I've really seen yeah. that dealing with my mom. It's incredibly important because I've got this, this the personality to barrel in and rescue and sort it all out. Yeah. But you're taking away a, a person's independence doing that. That's yeah. not really the, the, the right approach at all. Um, so I, I think I wanted to ask you a few questions but later about how I should better have approached this whole situation. But going back to, to this difficulty of it, um, and, and you know, you spoke about the brain shutting down. And I saw that with my mom. She, I mean, shame. She's going through so much. In fact, she's right now under a knife. Right now. She's in surgery. She, had a, she has to have a major backup. Um, has, her, her home sold sooner than she expected. Moving into a time and village. All of these things were happening. And she was down, staying with me for a week whilst we were dealing with it. She doesn't live with me. Uh, doesn't live in the same city as me. And she just couldn't, her mind couldn't hold on mm. to anything. She kept mm. saying the same things over and have I done this and haven't I done that? And you gave me the most mm. unbelievably brilliant advice, which is why I, of course, landed up doing this podcast. And that was, you said, write down a brain dump. Just start writing down everything that she thinks about needs to do. And I did that for, the, for five days. I kept a notebook and every time she opened her mouth, I jotted it down. Yeah. And then I compiled it at the end of the, her visit and I said, here's the list. Here's the, the now, the later. It was, she, she knows she was in tears. She said, I can't believe you've done this for me. She said, this is miraculous. And I said, now when you're feeling anxious, when you think, did I, must I, you just have to refer to the mm. list. Talk me to, because that list was powerful. Mm. I messaged you. I said, wow, Lou, that mm. list has changed the game. I have goosebumps as you, <laughs> as you say this, because I think the part of life transitions is that it's not difficult to help someone. You know, you maybe need a little bit of guidance in the human side of money, and that's the part that drives our decision-making. So this tool you're specifically referring to is what we call the decision-free zone. It's not the no-decision zone. It's just allowing someone, through the use of a transitionist or family member, to put down on paper what's in their head. Okay, and that process of doing a brain dump means that they don't have to keep it internally. They don't have to worry about it, even though they might not know that they're worrying about it. And so now you have this mesh of maybe 50 or 100 different things that's on someone's mind. Now you can start arranging it into what we call the now, the soon, and the later. And that process helps someone to actually park some of it. They can say, okay, well, I still need to update my will. But, you know, is that important with me moving into a new property? Maybe not. I can park that under later. And it's not the financial planner making that decision. I think that's important. It's not the children making that decision. It's working with your parents or your family member or your client and saying, what do you want to tackle first? And the things that are time sensitive and important should be under now. Everything else should be under soon and later. And this is not a checklist for financial planners. You know, it's not these are all the things you need to do. It's what's on your mind. And just that process brings a little bit more calm. And it means that someone can have that clarity to say, okay, I'm only going to focus on this one or two little things that I need to tackle. Now it's not this huge mountain. You know, you can actually start taking, mm. taking the first step. Um, so that is a very valuable tool that we use for clients in transition, but also not. 
you know, you can think um, when you have a lot to do, just going through that process, like doing a to-do list and, and uh, yeah, ticking well, that, it off. Well, that's exactly what it was. It, was not, it wasn't, and, and as you said, it doesn't just have to be about the financial part. Yeah. It was everything. Oh, got to phone the doctor to check this. Um, what about the cats? You know, all of those things. And, and, and when you, you've got so much to do and you're trying to remember all this stuff mm-hmm. and you're sticking in your head, you, you go yeah. into this, you can go nuts, actually, I'm yeah. sure. You can go quite crazy. So I think it was a brilliant yeah. idea and certainly one that I would highly encourage anyone to, to, to do themselves or yeah. also if they're, if, they're, if they're dealing with somebody who's yeah. in a state yeah. just to say, right, let's just write. Every, and randomly, whatever random thoughts are coming into your head, yeah. let's just write it down. It was such a brilliant, um, you know, just a brilliant tip that really got me through that week. <laughs> um, but, but I think coming back now, we spoke a little bit earlier about agency and making sure that mm. you don't take over. Mm. So mm. how do you how do you support a parent going through this transition? And and when should you have those conversations? And I, I talk about the transitions in two senses, I suppose, here, because it's kind of broader. One is the whole retirement, mm. you know, the retirement mm. part. And, you know, how do you check in with your parent to make sure that they've made a retirement plan? Because guess who's on the hook if they haven't? Um, or if it's about, you know, reaching a stage where you realize your parent may need to go into a supported care mm-hmm. or something. So how does we how do we have conversations with, with, with our parents? I would say the first step to realize is to say whose anxiety am I looking at? Is it my own or is it my parents? If we for this moment say it's my parents, then we have to turn this conversation around. And instead of saying you have to do this and this and this, we can start with a question and we can say, what are you most scared about? You know, what does this look like if it turns out well? What can get you excited? What are the things that can maybe derail our plans? And it might sound like funny questions, but this is almost a coaching approach where instead of telling someone what to do, because, hey, we know that almost never works. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Client, oh, mom and dad, you just need to do X, Y, and Z. That unfortunately is not a great way to get someone to do what you want them to do. And just realizing that and say, what can I change? What do I have control here as a child? I have control over how I approach this situation. I do not have control over that person's response. And understanding that I think is key because if you keep on doing the same thing, if you can keep on saying, mom and dad, you need to save for retirement, you need to save, you need to save. At some point they might give up, but you are probably going to drive yourself crazy. So turning that around and asking the question, you know, what's stopping you? From how can I make this easier for you? How important is it that there's cash for this? Maybe it's not. Maybe for them, you know, it's not a concern. And I don't think we must just dismiss it there. There is an element where we can bring awareness and we can teach someone to say, okay, you know, this is an important part. So I'm not discounting financial education, but sometimes it's just turning it around and saying, what do you want? What's most important? And in the transitionist space, we, we first look at what do we need to protect. So if you think about someone moving into a new place, what's most important for them? And we'd ask that, you know, what would you like to protect here? And sometimes it's, oh, my sense of community, right? For a lot of people, it is community mm-hmm. because that brings down our stress response. Uh, we can talk a little bit about stress, but thinking about what you want to protect and what you want to create new, you know, I think that positive spin on what you're going through even if it is someone that might have you know a terminal illness and they on their last um, days to ask you know what do you want to protect during this time what would make it meaningful for you the default sometimes is just to 
know, lean back and almost disengage. But mm. we've been taught that we should actually be leaning in and you should actually be asking caring and empathetic questions mm. at that point. And the other thing, you, and, I, and I really did see this with going through this whole process, my mom and, and saying, and, and we, you know, creating a vision of what it will look like, the new place will look like, yeah. what will her life yeah. be like, um, and, and seeing the opportunity in there. But the other thing you told me, um, and I shared this with my mom, I said, you, you, you said you're going to go through kind of flat out panic to euphoria, almost all optimism about the future, and you're going to keep moving between the two of them. And she said to me as well, she, that was so useful to know, because she said at four o'clock in the morning, when I'm completely panicked about these decisions I've made, um, I remind myself that, well, this is part of the process. So that was also, you've got to be realistic. People aren't going to say, oh, yes, I'm happy with this decision and I'm going to go ahead with it. They're going to oscillate. Yeah, we call it normalizing. Just for someone to feel that what they're going through is not abnormal. You know, it's a normal response for you to be uncertain. We talk about loss aversion and buyer's remorse. Once we've made a decision, we keep on going back to that <laughs> and we need some comfort. And sometimes it's just someone saying, you know what, I'll be here with you, whatever this decision brings. And I think that support that the family can give is a lot more valuable than them saying, oh, I'll write out a check. You know, sometimes that's necessary, but that emotional support during difficult times is is critical and and also being empathetic so yeah. not being irritated that she's yeah. not excited every five minutes about the change yeah. um to say i understand i understand you're giving up your home yeah. and this is hard and i completely understand and 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 just being empathetic mm. and i i think we do and i certainly have that personality so i'm very aware of it of just trying to fix everything or well, that's upsetting i'll fix it but sometimes mm. it's not sometimes mm. it's just grief yeah. sometimes it's just loss sometimes you're just sad mm. and you can't fix it and and living with that it's a, as, as the child it's very hard to see your parents or vice versa mm. a parent dealing with a child going through yeah. through, through through trauma like that um, sometimes just it's people are just sad this is as much work on yourself than what it is on that person going through the transition. So um, Mary Martin is a wonderful teacher in America and she teaches mindfulness for financial planners. And her approach is that the way you show up to your meetings has a massive impact on your clients, even if you don't say anything, just your presence and actually being there listening to someone. But how do you get to that point? Well, I think you have to have a mindfulness practice so that when these thoughts come in, you can let go of it. You can say, oh, I have this feeling that actually I want to fix this. But for you to then automatically lean into fixing, I think would maybe not be the best approach. Just taking that saying, okay, what do I want to do here? What's going to be helpful for my parents or my family members? And then making a decision. Daniel Kahneman talks about the systems one and the system mm -hmm. two. And, you know, one of them is automatic. It's that kind of prehistoric brain that just goes into action and we want to slow down and we want to use system two so that we can work through things and properly think it through. Because what we see in life transitions is that someone rushes through it to get to the new normal and they end up making decisions that don't serve them. And that is, that's so interesting. I've just, I've just, you know, been watching my mom go through this process and there was a little bit of the rushing and I had to keep saying, mom, just slow down, think about this. Is this what you want? But there's a sense that I have to get through this very horrible thing I have to do. Mm. Let me just rush through it, tick the boxes and, and then I can breathe on the other side. Um, because that indecision and, and unknown mm. is so uncomfortable for me. So I, that's interesting because I, and, and, and I do think giving that reflection, 
to a person and saying maybe that's what you're going through maybe you do need to just slow down and make sure these are the right choices and decisions um, is is part of the process and another piece of advice I was given by actually by a friend of mine um, who's a counselor is she said don't have an expectation of the outcome don't buy into an outcome because that also is I need this to happen and you said that up front mm. you don't have control over that and if you're in conflict around that you've got to say whatever choices she makes or he makes is going to be the the choice they make it's not my choice um and and to just dis- to disconnect from that and that that's again more work on yourself i suppose <laughs> we see that so much and so often with widowed people that just want to rush through this and people say oh no a year from now you'll be much better what the studies are telling us that that on average it takes someone seven to eight years when they go through a life transition to get into a new normal that's the average and so that means half of the people take longer than that and half of the people go through that process quicker. This is not a race. You know, as soon as you get to that new normal, guess what? There's a new transition waiting for you. <laughs> and that's part of life. Mm. I think it's just going through that. What I didn't know before starting out this journey is that you can look back on a life event and you can see how something that seemingly negative can actually make you a better person and how there's good that can come mm. from anything. You know, being, be it a war, be it a spouse that you've lost, be it moving into a new place. Life isn't just black and white. It's not all bad, not all mm. good. And so this helps you to start reflecting back on it and saying, okay, I am a different person now. I had a conversation three weeks ago with a client that has terminal cancer. And his words to me was, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Now, for someone to say that, it means that they've gone through a process of Number one, going through the guilt and getting comfortable with it, but actually taking meaning from life throwing a curveball and saying, how do I make good of what I get? And not everyone has the opportunity to go through that. Yeah, that's quite profound. That's quite amazing that you could come out the other side. Well, you know, have, have those reflections. Yeah. That's very powerful. And, and now to talk a little bit about the money side of things, because this mm-hmm. is one of the big problems that I see, and a lot of my friends are going through this with their parents, where there's been financial mismanagement of the retirement funds. Yeah. And often it's cognitive. So something, you know, they retire at 60, 65, but by 70, 75, there's cognitive changes perhaps. Um, and suddenly the kids discover that, uh, you know, they've made some really weird investments or done some really strange things. So how do you, as I suppose as a child, protect against this, but also how do you, as a person who's retiring and make, mm. going into retirement, mm. knowing that you may reach a point where you are not fully capacitated to make yeah. financial decisions, how does one manage that? That's a very interesting question, Maya, because South African law is not really well written for us to deal with this. So number one, people often sign what's called the power of attorney. And so that's giving someone else control over your financial decisions. Unfortunately, as soon as you lose the ability to revoke a power of attorney, so your cognitive ability, that fails. So now your power of attorney is no longer valid. What a lot of people do is that they start moving assets into possibly a trust so that you can have other people look after it, trustees, so to look after this person's assets for their benefit. With that also comes more complexity because you have additional costs and you have other people involved. And then I think thirdly, you can appoint a curator, right, which is also a costly process. And I would advise everyone to to try and steer away from that unless someone is really incapacitated or have a mental disability. So what can we do as a family member that suspect this? I think it's spending time with your family so that you can see the warning signs, right? Um, 
in psychology, they often talk about a mini mental test. And my grandfather suffered from dementia. And so we went through this process and the psychologist asked him, you know, what day is it? Um, what's in the news? You know, what did you have for breakfast? They would show them a couple of items. And, and funny enough, he said, no, he doesn't need to answer these questions at all. He has a walking cane and this walking cane will tell him uh, whatever <laughs> he needs to know. Um, I don't want to make light of, of these situations. Maybe but it is. It was a little mini computer and you didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, Maybe it was Google It home. was ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think being aware when there's these warning signs and then having a, a discussion and say, okay, well, what do we need to do here? And at that point, you need to be working with an attorney and a financial planner because there's legal complexities, there's financial planning implications. Do not try and do this alone. That's definitely a time when you, when doing it yourself can be expensive and then they can come up with solutions it might be let's set up some assets in your spouse's name because you can do donations without worrying about donations tax you can help you can get the family members to be more involved sometimes it's just being practical saying is there someone that can go in and check every day that you're still okay and that you have everything you need so the money should be for something right and what we don't want to lose track of is the quality of their life so I would say the conversation should be, do we have everything set up so that their quality of life is still in the way that they would have wanted it? And then there's many mechanisms around it. What happens with clients is that, and, and humans, you know, we, we approach it from, oh, I want to try this thing and I want to try that thing. But without having a clear indication of where you're heading, those tactics just become tactics, right? You want to have a strategy to say, this is what we want and then work from there. And it's interesting you're saying, you know, that the, the money that they do have must be used for their comfort, uh, you know, and that is the hardest thing to get through to my mother. She mm. wants to leave an inheritance. And I'm like, we don't need the inheritance. We need you to be healthy and happy mm. and well looked after. And they, they and parents get to this point where they would rather sacrifice mm. their life, you know, that they, they make these interesting decisions. And we really having to continuously remind her, mom, we're fine. Yeah. We're fine. You, you're the one who needs to, to, to make sure that you're enjoying your life. That's yeah. what will make us happy. So there is a, is a bit of a conflict there, um, I suppose. And, and the other thing, I, I question I have, well, one of the things that I see happening quite often, and I, my readers write to me often, is people falling for scams. Mm. And yeah, older people are mm. far more likely to fall for a scam. So first of all, my mother's very good. She sends me absolutely every email that she thinks could be suspicious, and they yeah. generally are. I mean, she's had the post office scams, yeah. she's had the SARS scams, and fortunately she sends it to me. But the point mm -hmm. is she still doesn't know if it's a scam or not. Mm -hmm. She sends it to me, and I say, Mom, that's mm -hmm. definitely a scam. But how many people, you can fall for that. Um, I had one desperate reader saying his father keeps falling for these um, uh, the, the, the Nigerian sort of scams. He's, I'm a prince, rich prince. Falls for, he's been losing so uh. much money. And at what point, you know, he said, what can I do? And, you know, again, you, you probably have mm. to go to court to get some sort of interdict against, or do you mm. just say, well, it's his money? I don't know. The, this mm. is where I'm saying the challenges of agency. It's, mm. it's his money. He chooses to be scammed. It's mm. difficult. Maya, before our call started, we spoke a little bit about financial abuse. And that shows up so often with elderly people and, you know, elder abuse because they become easy targets. And so what we've tried to do in our practice is to minimize the impact on these things. Because I don't think you can create a foolproof environment where no one can get in. But what you can say is, well, if he does get scammed, 
how do we minimize the losses? So some of that might be, let's move this big amount of cash that you have in your bank account and let's put that in a money market at the bank. So it's a little bit more difficult, one step removed for someone to get access. Think about increasing friction. So you want to make it more difficult, just like when you're on a diet, you want to bring in friction so that you don't just, you know, grab the chocolate that's in front of you. You're going to hide yeah, it somewhere eggs. or you know, Easter eggs. Easter eggs are a problem. They're in the house now and they get eaten. <laughs> Even if you don't like Easter eggs, you'll end up eating them. <laughs> Absolutely. But if the friction was there and it wasn't in the house, would you get in your car, drive down the road, go and buy one, bring it back mm. and then eat it? Probably not. So I would say look at ways that you can increase the friction. Maybe get a second signatory on large amounts. Um, a lot of financial planners, us included, use what we call a cash management system. So that's where you can open up a banking license and you can open up a transactional account for someone. Not to keep their money away from them, but to help protect them. You know, Big transfers, what we see from, from attorneys and trust accounts, that's usually when people try and intercept it. So if someone gets into your account and they steal maybe 500 rand, that's much better than them stealing 5 million rand. Right. The impact we want to minimize. And so I think we might be focusing on the wrong thing that we try and not, you know, get them to be scammed. We just want to have the reduce the impact. And like you did with your mother, you know, a buddy system, send it to someone before um, before you act on it, mm. slowing down, noticing, oh, could this be a scam? You know, obviously, there's a long list of things that you never should do. Don't give your PIN number. Don't give your CVV number. But we forget. You know, these scammers are trained to trick us into doing they it. Are, so. They are brilliant at human behavior and they know yeah. and they use often one of the yeah. big ones, the banks, that they, they pretend to be from the bank and they say yeah. there's a massive debit order that's yeah. going through your account fraudulently. Yeah. We need to reverse it. And that panic, and especially yeah. as you get older, you do tend to panic more. I find even yeah. I'm not even that old yet and I still panic more than I used to. You, 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 it's easier mm-hmm. to get someone in a panic state yeah. and, and, and they take action. But to me, the sort of the messaging that I'm getting is is that it is – you know, when you come to retirement, as you're getting older, is to have a valued financial planner, mm. actually, somebody who you can trust, mm. um, who's properly registered, probably, you know, got the proper qualifications, has a, mm. a, a body that they like, mm. uh, the, the FPI that they, or, um, or and also if you're a certified financial planner, that they have to account to, and they can hold them to yeah. account. Um, and that is probably, and then saying to them, listen, mm. if I start trying to, um, you know, buy the, my, my neighbor's, uh, oh. whatever, bar off him for 10 million bucks, you know, just, just, be there as my sounding board. So I suppose yeah. that's also the role of, of financial planning. And a lot of this is setting it up before because we're yeah. all going to go a little bit, you know, daft at some point, I imagine. At some point, you're going to go and, and maybe not be quite as rational yeah. as you should be. And well, how can we protect our own selves from that as well? Yeah. <laughs> I think setting up those agreements beforehand, specifically if you don't have family members or children to rely mm. on. So we often see that with clients that might not have kids. Um, sometimes or they don't trust their children. That's another week, and that's another whole. Or that's another episode. <laughs> or they don't trust. It, it, probably it comes down to trust. You know, do you have a mm. friend, a family member, a professional that you can trust to give you an honest, direct mm. opinion? Ideally, someone that's also governed through some form of ethic system, and we call that a fiduciary. You know, acting on someone else's best interest. The dilemma is, what if we also get it wrong? You know. Um, we don't have a crystal ball to see exactly what is a scam or not, but there's a lot of warning signs. Mm-hmm. And if you have another pair of eyes that can just look at it, I think you would eliminate 90% of all the problematic actions. Never mind, 
you know, illegal actions. It could just be decisions that's detrimental to your or financial health. Or bad investment health. decisions, you know, taking Correct. on too much risk um, because you didn't really understand it. So, so all of those, I think, quite frankly, we could all benefit from a, a being a, a sounding board. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, as we age, that, that becomes more important. But, Louis, I want to say thank you very much, firstly, on a personal level, because you've gave me the tips you gave me for my mom have been absolutely brilliant um, and I'm really hoping that we're going to get to have more conversations around this. There's so many life transitions that we that we need to talk about um, so I'm looking forward to more of these wonderful conversations and learning more from you. Thank you Maya, it's been wonderful and just that ability to help someone um, I think a lot of financial planners that's what gets them up in the morning including myself and so it's wonderful to hear that.